Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report Extra Pod. I'm Brett Lines Davis from Milton Keynes and following this week's one-all draw with Bristol Rovers, we look ahead to the lads' first away game of the season against Oxford United. Jimmy Lowson talks to Hughes fan and not the top 20 pod host George Ellick, but tonight I'm actually joined by, well don't worry though, first and foremost, there is some Northerners on the pod today. Um, one of those is regular exile, Chris Wynn in Sheffield. Chris, how you doing? Ari, Brett, how are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm very good, I'll, mate. I'll, I'll put the accent on a bit more this week. <laughs> are you, are you, uh, are you full of uh, stotty cake and pink slices? Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Pork butt Easter night. Um, as always, though, Chris, it is a, a pleasure to have you on. Um, I'm also joined by a couple of new signings uh, for the Roker Report this season. And you have heard both of them very briefly on the player ratings pod, which is straight after the match. But as we've got a bit more time tonight, we can find out a little bit more about them. So there's Gary Morris in Dublin. Gary, how are you? Good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you, mate. Very good. Great to hear. So, Gary, yourself, you are one of the uh, Dublin Black Cats. Yeah, one of the Irish Black Cats, mate. Um, obviously, met Michael through, through the Supporters Club and just blossomed since then, I suppose you could say, you know. And for yourself, because you, you boys get over quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we're over quite often. Um, last season, myself, I would have done maybe eight to ten games. But between us, we there'd probably be very few games that we'd miss, to be honest with you. You know, there's there's people, little pockets of people all around Ireland. So, so every now and then you'd have somebody, the likes of one of the boys went to MK Dons last year away by himself. A gang of us went to Bolton away. So it, it really just depends on the, on the game and the weekend. But there could be anywhere between one and... 15 of us going to any given game at any stage. So you're right about, you know, there's always at least one of you at the games because your, your flag is very often seen uh, both home and away. So yeah, as you say, it's great to have you guys on board. And we've also got uh, Malk Dugdale from Peterborough. Malk, how are you doing? Good evening, Brett. I'm very well. Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm not going to put a North East accent on because I've still got <laughs> a little bit of a one left, but I'll I'll do my best for the team. Yeah, so you're say originally from um, the North East and you've uh, you've moved through, like a field through sort of like work, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've I left the North East when I was 18 uh, to join the RAF and I've I've travelled the world a bit. Um I lived in New Zealand for 6 years um from kind of 2008 to 13, 14ish. Uh and we're back in Peterborough since then, so yeah, the work uh, situation's taken me around a little while. 
And um, your, I think your son's quite like very similar situation to me, where not not from the northeast, but he's been forced by his father to uh, support the lads. He has been branded with the uh, with the colours. Yeah, um, he was born in in Nottinghamshire uh, when we lived over there for a number of years. But yeah, he's he's probably more of a mad lads fan than I am, to be honest. He's uh, he's right into it, and and uh, if he could get on these things, he'd he'd rip your arm off. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's what happens, isn't it? As we've discussed uh, in other conversations, we didn't get a choice, so why should they? You know. No, that's exactly <laughs> it. I, I often wish my dad was from like Catalonia or Madrid or Milan, but hey ho. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you have you have a bigger advantage than me. You know, I came from a a neutral background, so that's one thing I would say. But Mal, one thing I was just thinking there about what you were saying about your son. I was like, that's like a Duncan Watmore. It's one for the future, is it? Oh, he's not. He's not a big football player. He played a lot of rugby when we were in New Zealand, um, and he's quite a talented young hockey player. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's 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 not been much of a football player. But he he very much uh, enjoys the stats side of it. And you know, like many kids these days, FIFA's made them all a bleeding expert, hasn't it? So he knows his stuff. Oh, that is very true. That very true, Malk. Um, let's jump into it uh, straight away then. So. The weekend, as always, in true sort of Sunderland fashion, I think every single one of us probably woke up on Saturday morning excited for the start of the season. It's a new dawn, you know. We're gonna you know, we're gonna hit the hundred points this season, aren't we? That's yeah. You know, it was also we <laughs> was all confident. <laughs> Three minutes it took for us to um, come crashing back down to earth. Um, I'm not quite sure what Lee Burge was doing, um, Chris. I know you was on the uh, the players' rating pod on um, on Saturday. Obviously, we've got so we've got a bit more time today. Are you are you over uh, Saturday's draw? Are you, um, are you are you now looking forward to to the following Saturday? No, is is the answer to that. Um, I've I've had time to stew on it, um, and it's just the game the game on Saturday has just niggled away at me um, every single day since the weekend. I, I just I just don't. As I said on on Saturday, my immediate reaction was I didn't get it. And I still don't get it. I don't get how we play in Bristol Rovers at home who finished mid-table. They were, I'm going to be kind to them, they were an average League One side. And our first half was possibly one of the worst 45 minutes I've seen for, I'll certainly say for the last two or three years. I'll say definitely in League One, it was up there with some of the, one of the worst 45 minutes we've had. Didn't look like we were going to score against a side who, after, as you said, two minutes in, they got the penalty, got the goal, and they were happy to sit. But we. We still played with the same tactics. We still played with three centre-halves. We still played with Dobson in front of them to protect them. Protect them against what? I still don't know what they were protecting them against. We didn't throw players forward. We didn't commit. We didn't go and try and attack them. There was no urgency. Um, and then we waited until the last quarter of the game, which Parkinson loves to do, to make a change. I don't I mean, a proactive manager 30 minutes in would have said, this isn't working, this isn't going right, I'm going to make a change. Even at half-time, make, you know, change something. Um, I, you know, and all it looked like he said was try harder. Yeah, so as you can see, I've calmed down a little bit, Brett. <laughs> yeah, I think you've, uh, <laughs> you've really set the tone for the uh, for the whole pod, I suppose, haven't you? But to be fair, I agree with what you're saying. It was, um, it seemed to be that we seemed to sort of change tactics a bit in the pre-season to only revert back to lumping it long again, and it's like we've learned nothing over the past six months. Yeah, that game plan, uh, like you said, hold, we looked dangerous and then we reverted back to type. We just panicked. But it looked, I mean, let's, you know, look at the team lineup. There was only really O'Brien in there who Parkinson hasn't managed at Sunderland. 
and they looked like a, a set of players who just met up for the first time. There was no runners, there was no cohesion, there was no game plan. You know, it just seemed like lump it forward and try and win the second ball. And as I said, don't understand it. Mal, can I say, what, what was your thoughts? Um, I say, now you've had a bit longer to uh, stew on it like Chris. Where, where are you sitting on this? Are you, are you just as frustrated? Say I was, uh, Rich Spate recently labelled me the, the newer guy who is glass half full because um, I do tend to have a little bit of an optimistic um, shade in the rose-coloured spectacles from time to time. In the in the ratings and the, and the review on Saturday, I, I mentioned that I wanted the team to use the first five or six games to get sorted. Um, my concern, you know, much like Chris's, is he didn't even look like he was trying anything different. You know, the, the, the tactics seemed non-existent. We started the game with two lads up front who were a, a capable goal scorers at this level um, and we're hitting it long to them and bypassing the midfield that did nothing. The goalkeeping error is the goalkeeping error. If you could take the optimistic view that if it wasn't for that, we would have nicked a 1-0. The thing that concerns me, I've had a look at the statistics since and Parkinson's got enough excuses still not to change it. There are statistics from that game that he can very easily use to say, you know what, that was all right. Um, we were unfortunate with a mistake for a penalty and I'm just worried that there's not many situations that are going to push him to actually be creative and change things for the better. Um, so, I'm, you know, it, it wasn't good. It was bloody awful in places. Uh, Chris's goal was quality as he often pulls out of the top draw when we really need it. But things things have really got to step up in the next few games for even Mr Glassoff full to be continuing to be that way, you know. I thought actually there was a great point you made about um, Parkinson then. And when he looks back on it, does he need to make changes? Because just before we did this, I just rewatched the highlight, the 10-minute highlights, just to refresh my memory on the game. And I come away thinking that, that apart from the penalty, and they, and they had one over shot, and the rest of it was all us, and we had the better chances. So as you yeah. say, it's, if you took that snippet, or if you look at the stats... It wasn't a bad performance, but watching the game, it was a bad performance. It was awful. We, we had 25 shots, apparently, and eight or nine on target. Um, now, I watched it as well, Chris, as you know, um, and I can't remember there being <laughs> 25 opportunities, never mind 25 shots. Um, we had a couple of goal-mouth scrambles that could have gone either way. Um, you know, you can give all the usual excuses, early season nerves, but come on, the professional footballers... Um, there isn't even a crowd in there giving them grief, you know what I mean? And you're at home, um, must improve, absolutely must improve as the as the situation, even reflecting a few days after the event. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Gary, I'll let you have your uh, your final say on the on, on the weekend's game. What were your sort of thoughts on uh, after Saturday's one-all draw? Yeah, I'm pretty surprised with the selection, to be honest with you. Um, the likes of Dan Neal or Diamond should have been at least on the bench, I would think. You know, it seems he's reverted back to... The old tried and trusted and failed method of last season. Obviously, the fact that he stuck with the two up top was good, but um, the quality just wasn't there from the right side. Normally, Luke would be considerably better than he was on Saturday, I feel. Um, but everything came down the left with Denver Hume. I think the one of the problems we may have, though, going forward, I suppose, is last season when it was just a, the one up top and two wider men, at least there was plenty of balls coming into the middle, where... This season, it looks like he's playing two up top with Maguire just kind of floating behind. I don't see him hitting the touchline too often to get these balls in. So, I suppose it's still early days. Obviously, there is still hope. So, fingers crossed it's better and selection could potentially be changed too, you know. 
One question I will ask, and it's it might, it might seem a bit of a strange question to be asking it after just one game, but I, I was reading through to like the um, like the SAFC Twitter over the last few days, and, and it did sort of crop up a few times. There seems to be two camps of this. Is Parkinson under pressure already? Now, a lot of people are saying it's one first game of the season, you can't panic, you can't you know worry too much about it, new players gelling, blah, blah, blah. Or the other side is, well, apart from the good run previous season, we were very poor in the run-up to the end of the season until it stopped. Would you say, Chris, that um, Parkinson is under pressure already? 100%, yes. It was inevitable. This uh, The Bristol Rovers game was by far the easiest of the first four on paper this season. We're following up with Oxford, who finished fourth, Peterborough, who finished in the playoffs, and then Charlton, who's come down. And that takes us up to October the 3rd, those three games. Now, if what he needed to do was put down a marker against Bristol Rovers, mid-table side, go out to start the season, get a few goals, get three points. And then, even if the results went you know, slightly wrong, let's say we got three points out of the next three, then... He, he, he had that good performance against Bristol in the bag to say, look, you know, there's, there's some progress being made there. But now what he's done is we've come out and we've given a performance that looks like we've gone backwards or at the very least we haven't, gone, we haven't taken any st- steps st- forward. Still and now he's faced with these three games where he could now be looking at first four games of the season and looking at, you know, still looking for his first league win of the season. Mm-hmm. And, People can still say, oh, well, we're only four games into the new season. You know, it's still too soon. But we're coming into October, which means he's been in the job for 12 months. Now, if we assess it on that, you know, that criteria of saying, let's assess his 12 months at the club. Well, we're actually further away from our objective than we were when he took over. So if you're basing it on that, is he under pressure? Absolutely. And Malk, you are the optimistic one of the bunch. (laughs) Where do you stand with it? Is, is, is it too soon to be even talking about managers being under pressure? So it's never too soon to say managers under pressure. You're only as good as your last one or two results. Um, I agree with the great majority of what Chris has said. Um, the only caveats I think he can trot out, and he's good at trotting out caveats as most managers are, um, you know, has he really had 12 months when two or three months have been stolen by COVID-19? The percentages of his capability uh, and the performance of the team um, don't stack up particularly well. Um, and, and you know, Jack Ross had until October last year before he got the bullet. Now, granted, he started in August. So I, I think, you know, he's, he's going to have a couple of months maximum. Is he already under pressure? Yes. Um, that said, if he has another Tranmere or if he has another little run, or even, to Chris's point, if he gets, say, five points out of them three acknowledged challenging games, and he demonstrates that he's thinking about altering tactics and having different approaches and blending the players in from the youth, then, you know, people might give him a little bit a bit more kind of leash to run with. Um, but he's, uh, he's, he's really got to demonstrate that he understands um, how we need to change quite yeah. quickly. Because if he just keeps being stubborn people will just uh, hound him out. Yeah, sorry, but just just quickly, on that point though, Malcolm, what he's done though, in terms of pressure, with that performance against Bristol Rovers, he's now made these next three games absolutely huge. I think they were big anyway, Chris, I agree with you. Um, he has made the pressure on himself bigger, um, 
But he's that kind of bloke, though. A bit like sometimes when Jack Ross was still around, where you think, oh, my God, look at the run we've got now. And they pull the odd result out, and, and they get themselves a breather, you know what I mean? And I wouldn't mind a breather, because I want him to find things that are going to start working and then focus on them, you know, the way he did for that run of nine or ten games at the, at the start of the year. Um, but um, he's he's he just worries me that he seems to be so singular-dimensional and unwilling to change and try things. So he's he's going to have to really pull his socks up. And um, Gary, I'll let you have your turn as well on this. So um, Phil Parkinson, is he a man under pressure already? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, I know people talk about clean slates to start seasons, but realistically, I, now I don't see this happening, but realistically we could be sitting at one point after four games. Now, like I said, I don't see it happening, but... There's every chance being Sunderland that it that it may happen, and if that's the case, you would imagine there's going to be one of these top teams that that are sitting up top with twelve points already. It's a it's a long way back from from very very early on, so it is worrying. It's definitely worrying that there was very little change, and it doesn't seem like uh, he's learned his lessons from from his tough spells last season. Well, there's one thing about um, Phil Parkinson, and, and I think almost an annoying uh, factor is is his unwillingness to change now. Going um, against Hull the other week with two strikers instead of one seemed to be completely changed, you know, the biggest change he's ever made in, in any kind of formation. So, so keeping the formation as it stands, which will be, you know, three at the back with the wing backs, two in the middle, and then a front three of sorts. I suppose you've got question marks at them already over everywhere on the pitch. So, are we all happy that, you know, with Lee Burgeon goal at the moment, obviously he's made, it was a, it was an error, it was a silly error, but here and now, would you still be keep looking to keep him as number one, Chris? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think he's a good keeper. I think he, he just made a howler. Um, I, I think it'll turn out this season. He'll, he'll, he'll do all right for us this season, I think. He's a good shot stopper. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned on him. Um, Mount yourself, are you, uh, so, so I'm going to go for literally the whole team so we can sort of pick this together. So are you happy with Lee Burge still in goal? I think he's the better of the keepers. Um, he made a mistake in the first game that clearly disrupted his confidence because he wasn't as commanding of his box after that mistake. Um, Will Parkinson change him? Crikey, we can't get him to change anything, so he's <laughs> he's not going to change that after, you know, the the problem with goalkeepers and and uh, our friend Mister Gare was talking about it on the on the uh, reaction pod on Saturday. You know, if a goalie makes a mistake, they get the ultimate penalty for it. Literally a penalty in this case. So. I'd be surprised if he changed him, but I think Remy Matthews will be, you know, um, chomping at the bit. Um, although in in standard Sunderland fashion, some of his pre-season stuff was hardly inspiring. So, um, so yeah, I, I think they'll stick with Burge, yeah. And then at the back, I, I can't think really of any argument against having, I know people are sort of crying out to get um, Jumajli in, but I think really Flanagan, Willis Wright, could you see sort of anything... To say that them three won't be sort of you, you, the back three on um on Saturday, Chris. Uh no, no, he'll he'll keep the same there. I can't I can't see him changing anything there. Don't think they did a huge amount wrong in terms of defending. Um, I think it was going forward where we had the problems. Well, let's sort of like look into the middle of the park then, because I know obviously again the wing backs are big themselves. It's going to be oh nine and Hume. Um, I assume anyway. Um, and then in the middle of the park we've got no um no Dobson after being sent off. Uh, Gary, who are you going to put in the middle? I think it has to be Scowan, to be honest with you. You know, it's a it's a no brainer. But we say a no brainer. But would you be surprised if um, if Grant is put in? No, but you would imagine it'll be be Josh Scowan. 
I was shocked to see Scowan not in the lineup this Saturday. Exactly, yeah, I agree with that, absolutely. Well, I think that was all about... Cause my... You're going to say, because he played, the, the whole game was decent, wasn't it? Is that going to be your argument? <laughs> well, no, I think I think what, what Parkinson likes is is to have, he wants to push, well, from what it looked like, I was trying to work out the shape. I mean, it was pretty difficult to work out what the shape was, but I think he was trying to push Max Power on a bit. And if he, if he wanted to do that and have Maguire in behind the front two as well, or up with them, he, he was desperate to have a holding midfielder. And Josh Scowen's a more of a, he wants to get forward as well. So, he, he needed Dobson in there because Dobson was the only one who can really do that that holding midfield role. Now that's I'd I'd love him to have Scowen in and push, you know, start saying to Max Power and Josh Scowen, you know, if you get an opportunity to get forward, you know, just make that run. But I'm slightly worried that he's gonna try and shoehorn someone in to, to sit in front of the back three. So I I'm a bit wary about what he's gonna do, to be honest. Yeah, surely the, surely there's that. an argument though for for certain games where you almost agree that you want someone at the back covering that y- your back three, and um, I suppose like Dobson is ideal for that role against a Peterborough, against an Oxford, but against Bristol on Saturday, Bristol Rovers on Saturday, we should just be attacking teams. There's no need for anybody to sit back, surely. Malcolm, what do you think? Um, I think Scowen did enough in the pre-season so that Dobson shouldn't have even been in the equation. That's what I think. Um, I think it's it's definitely a situation where you could have a more attacking uh, intent against teams that you hoping to pick maximum points up against. Um, I I think I think it's a it's a kind of problematic argument to say that neither Max Power nor Scowen can sit in front of the defence because you can flip that round and say they can both tackle. You know they're both known strong tacklers. They can both spray a pass. You know if we think a little bit more creatively. Why could they not, you know, switch and cover for each other when each other pushes forward rather than just being single dimensional, you know? Um, Max Power showed on Saturday he can still hit a ball and if it weren't for the fingertips of that goalie, he would have got one. You know, it was a crack and save. So I, I think we're being, as Chris said, uh, a bit too conservative um, and we should we should try and push for a little bit more attacking intent for the teams that... Uh, that we want to try and guarantee the three points with. Well, based on the, um, the formations that Parkinson sort of does sort of put out there, so we've spoken about um, the back and the midfield. It's up front and like that attacking midfielder sort of role where we've kind of got six players to fit into three positions. So you've got um, you've got Gooch and Maguire, who sort of players the two off the striker, or you've now got Grig, O'Brien, White and Graham. Who is your three out of that six to start on um, on Saturday, Gary? To be honest with you, when when Gooch came on, I thought he was he was something different. Technically speaking, I'd like to see himself, Chris McGuire, and and Greg start, and and rather than just lumping the ball forward, feed balls into Greg because you've seen in the preseason when Dan Neal was passing nice passes through the defence, and Greg was getting onto the end of them. There was chances for Greg to score. He did bang a few in in the preseason, so. Yeah, I just think with Gooch and Maguire, they'd be more technical and would potentially get the ball in on the ground to, to Griggs' feet, hopefully. 
So we've got a, a Gooch, Maguire, Grigg front three there from um, Gary. Chris, what's your front three? I mean, as bizarre as it, as it sounds, I'd keep the same three as what he had uh, last week. But the problem was they were they were all trying to deal with 50-yard diagonal balls. Um, they weren't, as, as Gary's just said, Grigg wasn't getting anything in the feet. He wasn't getting anything in behind. I mean, there was times where you saw Will Grigg dropping off to the halfway line to try and find the ball. He was dropping off 30 yards away from where he actually should have been on the defender's shoulder. Um, and he was actually looking for a pass <laughs> to just to get involved. And he was um, out wide a couple of times as well. I noticed that he, yeah. he was nowhere where he should be. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't lay the, the blame at their door. I'd say, well, the, at least he tried and said, well, this is not working. I'm not getting involved, so I'm going to go looking for it. And, you know, you've got to give him a little bit of credit for that. Um, but yeah, I just think it was the way we, we played him behind him and and we, we didn't give him any service. I mean, just very quickly, one curveball because Gary mentioned him earlier on in Lugo 9 down the right hand side because as Gary said everything came down our left and I was disappointed with the Lugo 9 because everything was backwards and sideways like I said on Saturday so a little bit of a curveball maybe to if he wants a bit of positivity down the right hand side is maybe to have Diamond out on the right and have one nine in the middle to get a bit more energy in the middle uh, and have all nines kind of you know running and uh, you know he can get up and down in the middle rather than out wide because I, I think Diamond looked like one of the only players uh, kind of in pre-season who looked like he really wanted to go after players and take them on well you've actually you've you kind of lined up one of my next questions which was involving um like the, you know Jack Diamond and Dan Neal sort of not even being in the squad but would you say then just to sort of follow back up on what you just said there, said there about 09 do you think he would ever make it though as a midfielder at Sunderland he's it looks like he's going to be a wing back now, and that's it. There doesn't seem to be any sort of position for him in the centre there. No, I think I think he's um, in the eyes of the the coach and staff there. I think he's a fullback, and I think in the eyes of a lot of people, I think they've forgotten he was originally a centre midfielder. But I wouldn't mind if, if especially with Diamond coming through, get Diamond out there. Especially I mean, home games like Bristol Rovers. I mean, the energy of all nine in the middle. I would have preferred him in front of the back three than than Dobson at the weekend, and I would have preferred Diamond out wide to all nine. So. I think if, if if Pattinson's willing to change things, as we said, he, he might not be. Um, I'd be happy to say that. <laughs> well, Mark, what's your thoughts then? Well, you can ask what you think of 09 in the centre. Do you think can he, has he got a role there at all? Uh, 09's got a few credits in the in the piggy bank, to be fair. You know, the bloke was one of our real stalwarts last season. Um, and, you know, I think, I think to write him off too soon in the season would be a little bit out of order. Um he's just had a baby as well, you know, there's there's lots of stuff going on in his life. Um would I start with him? Probably. Um but I'm with Chris. I'm agreeing with you way too much tonight, Chris, by the way. <laughs> um I'll find something to argue about in a moment. Um please do. No, no, I I would I would have had Diamond on the bench and I would have when I was seeing that O nine wasn't getting much change down the right hand side, I would have had Diamond on with half an hour at least to go, because uh, he would have terrified those buggers. He really, really would. Um, and he doesn't give a monkeys. He's a young lad. He'll have a go. He's still of the mindset that, you know, if he tries three times and it doesn't come off, he'll still have a go in a slightly different way. You know, so um, I would, I would, um, I would certainly have him on the bench, and I would have thrown him on um, the um, the. It, in response to the earlier point about the the three up front, Brett, um, I agree that Grigg um, and O'Brien are um, a decent prospect up front. Um, but I'm a little bit worried, as as other people have mentioned, that without the service, we're not changing things enough. You know what I mean? Um, because we had we had Grigg up front last season. You know, um, with other players that we tried to get at the gel with. Um, I think we we really need to try some. 
some significantly different things you know try him with graham give graham half an hour you know he's an experienced bloke at this level you know um i'm not too sure whether the greg white combination will ever work um and you know o'brien has got to prove himself as the ex you know championship level forward that he's uh he's reputed to be so i wouldn't change too many things but i would consider mixing things up a bit sooner and you know maybe changing the shape a little bit uh, but as we said on the reaction put on Saturday night, people like Maguire had a, a pretty poor game by his own high standards. But you can't bloody take him off because he, he bangs a howler in from 18, 20 yards um, and saves your bacon. So, um, yeah, tough one. That, that is always difficult with Maguire because he's a little bit like the same when we had McGeady, wasn't it? That all of a sudden he could have a terrible 80 minutes and then a little bit of magic, so ball drops him outside the box, smashes it in, you were back one all. It's um it's difficult to take a player like that off who's you know so just for him, but he he can be a luxury player at times for us. Yeah. But the, I mean the point stands though, we played the wrong type of football for the forward line we chose. Way too many long balls. Um so, you know, if we are gonna if we are gonna adopt a target man style, we've got a couple of them that were on the bench. At least bloody put one of them on with Grig or with O'Brien and try and play to their strengths. You know, it, it just didn't make sense. You said we didn't have much of a formation, Chris. I think I think the formation was called a shambles. That that was my <laughs> assessment of it because you know even the guys on the pitch didn't know where they needed to be at times. It was it was terrible. Well, that's interesting that all three of you have sort of come up with different options up front, but all three of you have all agreed that basically the service was non-existent so that's something they definitely need to be working on this week so moving on we are now going to catch up with uh jimmy lowson who has caught up with george ellick from the not the top 20 pod about this weekend's game and here's what they had to say welcome back to the roker report podcast it's me jimmy lowson hot seat again and i'm delighted to say i've been joined by a returning guest co-host of the Not The Top 20 podcast and the Going Up, Going Down podcast, EFL expert and Oxford United supporter, George Ellick. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, yeah. No, um, very, very welcome. Very welcome. Um, So obviously looking at Oxford, out of sort of the four other promotion rivals Sun had last season that didn't go up, if we're looking at a team that maybe might drop away Really, I was looking at Oxford and Fleetwood as teams where they might lose their best players, they might struggle to to reinvest, they might struggle. But the betting markets and also yourself, Nally Maxwell, don't think that's going to be the case. Why, why is that? <laughs> yeah, there's a few reasons. Uh, I think a lot of Oxford fans and people who follow the leagues maybe expected Rob Dickey to leave. He has moved on to QPR for a couple of million quid. Um, but Cameron Brannigan was the other player who was wi- widely expected to be leaving. And that would have kind of really ripped out the heart of, of Oxford's side from last season. But rather than moving on, Brannigan's actually signed a new contract uh, and is staying at the club. Added to that, Matt Taylor, who was on loan last season, who was Oxford's top goal scorer, he has signed a three-year deal. Um, and Sam Winnell, a player who isn't going to be fit, I don't think, for Saturday. Uh, he might come off the bench. But another player who's kind of proven League One quality, I guess. So I think people looking maybe at the squad and then there's other additions in certain certain key areas. Um, Chris Cadden played at right back for the first half of the season, a player linked with Sunderland as well, I think, uh, before moving to the MLS in January and he was never really replaced. 
and now Sean Clare's coming um, to replace him. So even though Dickey has moved on, I would say looking at our squads and the depth and a couple of other players who come in as well, such as Marcus McGuane on loan from Nottingham Forest, former Arsenal and Barcelona player, um, mm. I'd say the squad in itself is probably stronger uh, in terms of, of, of depth and only one key player from last season missing, and that's of the permanent deals. Obviously, Marcus Brown, another another one who's gone back from his loan spell. So, um, even though last Saturday didn't necessarily go to plan, um, given how strong Oxford finished last season and how you know on merit um, they got their their playoff spot, it would be a, a pretty big surprise to see a massive drop off. I'd say. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we'll jump straight to Brannigan because, like you said, it was really him and Dicky. The expectation was if Oxford don't go up, they're both going. I understand he's been, like you said, given a new contract, given the captain's armband. What mm. do you think was crucial? How do you think Oxford were able to persuade him to stay? To be honest, I have no idea. Um, I, I was <laughs> not only from just kind of a fan point of view, but from <clears throat> any intel that I could glean from people involved at the club, um, which wasn't very much. But I was basically told that he'd definitely be leaving this summer all the way back in kind of October time and that that was almost agreed. And the reason why he was staying on was the understanding that he would uh, he would move on. I mean, he's, he's 24 years old. So even though he's a player who is still young and improving, he's reaching that time in his career now where he's, he's kind of primed for that big move. So, he, I mean, he's, he's very competitive. Um, he's somebody who quite clearly relishes the challenge of, of playing football and, and, and winning games. So I wonder if, given the, the way that last season fell apart, uh, at Wembley if there's just a part of him that thinks you know give it one more season with a captain's armband you know right that wrong and then move on which would you know and, and another good season under his belt that the clubs you know we as fans aren't aware of which clubs are, uh, are interested and in, which clubs are showing interest and if Brannigan looked at those clubs and thought to himself you know what I'd rather have another year here having to kick on again and then get the move then, then fair play to him but, but certainly all the fan base were pretty surprised when the contract was signed, but um, very happy as well. You mentioned both of them straight off the bat. Dickey and Brown are the two that I think really stood out to Sunderland fans as big, big players, quality players at League One level. How exactly have the club replaced them? With Marcus Brown, there have been a few players brought it brought in. Uh, Joel Cooper's come in from Northern Ireland, um, who, you know, this is his first season playing kind of full-time professional football, so we, we can't expect too much from him now. But, Having after we've seen with with Mark Sykes and with Gavin White, Oxford's recruitment from that area is very strong. So again, probably this game on Saturday is a bit too early for him, but he's somebody who will play that kind of wide left role. Uh, Brown often also played through the middle um, in a kind of more advanced ball carrying central role, and McGuane is definitely the replacement for him there. So, but you know, uh, Carl Robinson, our manager, has said that he is very keen to bring in a first choice left sided player. Um, and one who will command a fair chunk of the, the remaining wage budget. Um, it's unlikely, again, this will be by Saturday. Um, Marcus Madison is one name who's been linked, um, who I know Sunderland mm. fans know a lot about, given that he is one of you. Um, but but we'll see on that case. With, with Dickey, it was much easier. Uh, a player called Rob Atkinson came in in January, and he was brought in then to replace Dickey. And he's a left-sided, so a left-footed centre-back who is very similar to Dickey in the way that he plays. He's a very good passer, very competent on the ball. And he also has this willingness. That I, I haven't quite got used to it yet, where he gets the ball and if there's any space in front of him, he'll just drive into it. 
um, which mm. will mean that whoever's kind of playing that shielding role has a bit of a job to do to drop in. But um, so that's kind of a like for like. By no means is Atkinson at Dickey's level yet, but that's a much more seamless transition, which was already kind of prepared for. Any concerns with Atkinson's dodgy, dodgy red at the weekend? I have absolutely no idea how it was overturned. <laughs> that's all. And the ridiculous thing about it for anyone who hasn't seen, I mean, he was. He was already on a yellow. So if, <laughs> so if he'd been, if he'd just been booked, he'd have been sent off, and there'd have been no appeal. But because it was, he was given a red card, and it was somehow overturned, like it was definitely a foul. You'd think for a red card mm. to be overturned, it would have to be, you know, not, quite clearly not a foul or a case of mistaken identity. But this is a foul where he's late. It just doesn't look particularly dangerous. But the red card has somehow been overturned, which is great news, and he's now available for Saturday, which is massive because we have some proper injury problems for Saturday. Mm. We'll we'll get onto that later, but in case I forget to ask, Madison at Oxford, how would you feel about that one? He's obviously a very divisive player. A lot of people talk about his attitude. Would he fit in at Oxford? It would be interesting. Um, Carl Robinson has a reputation for being quite good with players who other coaches find difficult. Uh, mm. If you look at Tariq Fossu, for example, at, at Charlton, who was released from his contract and then six months later... You know, was being bought for nearly a million quid by by, by Brentford in the Championship. Um, Marcus Brown had a loan spell at Wigan, which was cut short because of his social media activity, and then went to <laughs> went to Borough permanently and had a torrid time. You know, he's never played any good professional football at any other clubs except for Oxford. And, and Robinson's managerial kind of his man management style is very much arm around the shoulder, build up confidence. And maybe that would work with Madison. Um, I, you know, I personally would always be a little bit concerned about bringing in someone with a reputation for being that kind of a, a character in the changing room. But, and I also find his willingness to shoot from almost anywhere quite frustrating, mm. but there's no denying his quality and, and his set piece delivery is, is worth probably a few goals in itself a season. So I certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Uh- I have no idea where I stand now. He's he's obviously not coming to Sunderland. If he was, he'd be here already. But I definitely don't want to see him at one of our rivals because yeah. he is just such a talented guy. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's I couldn't agree more. Carl Robinson's an interesting one. He's obviously a guy who once again splits opinion. He's a guy you had the sort of opportunity to sit down with last season and talk to. How much stick has he got for the way things ended last season? What's sort of the the view on him among Oxford fans? Really positive. Um, he, mm. he's come in for stick in the past. He's a manager who I think we're now learning that if, if, if Oxford lose a game or if he has a bad performance, just, just turn, maybe turn the radio off before Carl comes on because <laughs> I'm pretty sure his, his post-match interviews would be very different on a Monday morning compared to a Saturday afternoon because he's, he's a very passionate and emotional guy. But he, he's, he signed a new four-year deal um, last week or, or, or 10, yeah, I think last week. And the overwhelming, and that's a long-term deal for a League One club, and the overwhelming feeling amongst the fans is one of, of massive um, positivity and, and delight that he signed. He, he hasn't faced any criticism for the Wembley game. I think anybody who watched that match would probably agree that Oxford, whilst playing, you know, all the football were undone by a set piece and an aberration at the back. Um, but most of the time, and, and whilst you know we didn't necessarily turn up or play particularly well, um, Robinson's tactics or the team he put out weren't the thing that came in for criticism at all so uh, certainly when things aren't going great it's, it's never particularly rosy with Carl but I you know, as someone myself who had my my not issues but had my concerns early on in his reign I'm, I'm now fully on board and um, 
And, and I think so long as the current ownership structure and Carl Robinson are at the club, whether it's this season or, or in a couple of seasons' time, it's very hard not to see this end with with a promotion. I alluded to it before, but I wanted to sort of touch on it in a bit more detail. You did have a sit down with him um, for the Athletic in print, which people can look up. What were sort of the main surprises you took from that or takeaways? Was there any, what changed in your opinion of him after actually sitting down and, and getting to know him a bit better? Um, I mean, there was a funny story where we walked into his, because when he first came into the club, um, we were doing a show on Sky that, that is no longer called The FL Matters. And David Prutton, knowing that I was an Oxford fan, asked me what I thought of him. And I may, it was very early on in his, in his tenure, and I may have said something along the lines of, you know, it's time probably to let him go. And, and Carl mm. and I walked into, the, um, walked into his office and there was a bottle of whiskey sitting on the desk. And I was like, Carl, what's the, uh, you know, is that, is that what you guys tuck into after a win? And he goes, no, 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 I only open it when I hear people slagging me off on Sky Sports saying I should get the sack. <laughs> so that was a hell of a way to start the interview but he's you no know, he's a great guy I really go on with him and he's you know as I say he's very passionate and you can see how much he you know takes he, he loves developing footballers that's the key thing for him you know he's, his, his record before mm. he came to Oxford well before he went to MK Dons was he was a, an academy coach um, and you can see that in, in the way that he nurtures players as well um, and the other thing that struck me is that he is very young you know I think he's not even 40 yet despite how long he's been around um, and he's got, he's still very ambitious. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he still harbours hopes to, to manage at a much, much higher level than League One. And, and rightly so, because he's proving now, you know, after what happened at Charlton, if if the owners had foolishly listened to, to what I said at the beginning of his, of his reign and <laughs> had let him go, I, I don't know necessarily know where he'd have turned up next, because that would have been two jobs in League One that hadn't necessarily gone to plan, having been sat from MK Dons. But certainly... You know, even though Charlton fans are, are always very strangely willing to tell you how much they don't rate him, um, yeah, he's 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 welcome welcome at Oxford for the for the foreseeable. Good stuff. Um, one, we mentioned Cameron Brannigan. Is there anyone else that should be on Sutton's radar that might stand out at the weekend that we should be fearful of? Um, well, I mean, Taylor's. I think basically is, is as good a poetry as you're going to get in League One. And if we manage to create chances, I have no no doubt that he will put them away. Um, James Henry is we all know about James Henry with proven quality on the right hand side putting in great great delivery and he's a, he's a goal threat as well um, of those who may not know much about McGuane is probably the one who we've got high hopes for he's a really good ball carrying midfielder um, He and he's got good passing as well uh, and he's definitely got the calibre to do that and Mark Sykes is expected to have a bit of a breakthrough season this season um, he's 23 years old now he's had 18 months of, of professional football uh, he is both very good on the ball and very athletic. Um, and yeah, he missed a good chance on Saturday, but I have a feeling when it comes to next summer and the Oxford um, kind of player trading model clicks into action again, I have a feeling Sykes will be one of those who teams in, in higher leagues will be will be looking at. Yeah, the other thing as well I want to move on to, I've got a list of five potential starters that could miss out. Do you have any idea who's likely to be out, who's likely to be in, and, and which players would, would affect the team performance most? Yeah, so um, Alex Gorin, former Sunderland player, is out as far as I'm aware. And that, in my opinion, is the biggest loss mm. because he is our, you know, he's that 
ball shielding um, player in front of their back four. And because we have so many ball players and we're so intent on playing out from the back, when the opposition win it and turn over the ball quickly in transition, not having Gorin to either put in a tackle or basically foul them um, is is an issue. And we saw that on Saturday where Liam Kelly played that role and, and he's, you know, he's a very good ball player, but he's certainly not a, a, a player who's going to break up play particularly effectively. Um, John Massino is out as well. Um, and Josh Ruffles too. Ruffles is our only left back. So that's going to provide mm. a bit of an issue. Um, but there is talk still, I think that a left back might be brought in ahead of Saturday. But if not, it'll likely be Sam Long playing that on that side. And he's he's a right back. So it's just, it'll just be a case mm. of, of, of a wrong footed left back. Um, although he's not, you know, he's not the he's not the strongest League One fullback anyway, so that would probably be an area where you could hurt us. Um, and with Massinho, there'll be a case of Moore and and Atkinson playing. So so long as there isn't another injury there, we should be okay. Who else have you got written down? Because I'm trying to think who the, who the other ones are. Let's see. I have Sykes, Winnell, who you mentioned before, and I also have Taylor. So you've yeah, you've nailed Gorin and Ruffles. Yeah, I think T- Taylor's fit as far as I know. Um, Winnell, Winnell's just a mm. case of not having had a preseason. I, I think he'll be on the bench and he'll sure. either, you know, if we're chasing the game, he might come on for the last ten. If we're comfortable, he might come on for the last ten. Anything in between probably won't risk him. Um, and Sykes played ninety minutes. Um, yeah, I think he's fit as far as I know, but I might be wrong. Okay, um, I do like the sound of long uh, left back. I like the sound of that a yeah. lot because I remember watching the four-two game against Newcastle yeah. and. Even in that match, playing in his proper position, he stood out like a sore thumb as your worst technical yeah. player. I remember coming away from that game thinking, "Gore, that's that's the one weak point." It, it, he's an interesting case because he definitely is, you know, technically, in terms of his technical ability, his passing and all that, on all that stuff, and his creative ability, he probably is our weakest player. But he's he's on his day a very good one-on-one defender. And mm. when we played Pompey in the playoff semis in the first leg, Ronan Curtis gave him an absolute runaround. Um, and the goal was probably his fault because he stood off Curtis and let and showed him onto his um, onto his stronger foot. But in the second leg, he was he was brilliant. I mean, he basically just kept Curtis completely quiet. And he, you know, he'd obviously done mm. his. I tweeted after the first leg, being like, "Right, just sit Sam Long in front of some videos of of running Curtis, ready for." And it, and it, <laughs> if he didn't do that, he did something similar because he was so much better prepared. So he he's a player who. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to offer much going forward, although he is, he is a threat of set pieces. Um, but playing on the left-hand side, if you're Phil Parkinson, your plan would definitely be to get you know get mm. someone on the ball, probably not like a, a Maguire, probably someone, maybe O'Brien, someone, someone with like a bit more kind of pace with the ball at their feet, someone who can basically go past yeah. um, and, and try and get past long. But yeah, sometimes he can be up to the task, so I wouldn't bank on it but yeah i mean I, I do agree that that would be our our, our our weakest area i'd agree good stuff um lincoln result you've touched on it before any long-term concerns takeaways things Sunderland fans should be excited about that came out of that defeat yeah i mean i think lincoln are probably lincoln being quite good is a thing to take out of that defeat um i mm. got a bit of flack because i tweeted after the first half i thought we were all right i mean we didn't have a shot but we kept the ball well and moved it well they were just very adept at mm keeping us at arm's length and uh, and that was you know we, we ended up having seven shots on target in the game which I think was the same as Sunderland had against Bristol Rovers or maybe it was six um, but yeah, you know first game of the season I, was, I mean I'd say the same about, about your game 
Um, it's so important not to get wound up or carried away on, on one 90-minute game of football. <laughs> um, doing that would be the worst thing you can do in this case. So yeah, nothing much to get too frustrated by. Maybe a bit of a lack of pace at times, but I, I feel like when it's so easy when you're playing against a side who are, you know, who, who as you found out on Saturday with Brissa Rovers, who take the lead within the first 10 minutes and then will play with kind of two banks of five. And it's easy to be like, where's the pace? But it's very hard to get quick players in the game because what are they going to do? Just pick up the ball 30 yards from goal and just try and beat standing still defenders, two banks of five. The, the game is where pacey players normally excel is where there's space in behind. Um, so even though it can be sterile and, and fairly, um, you know, not particularly good watch, it's players like James Henry for us, it's players like Chris Maguire for you guys, as, as was shown. They're the ones who you, you know, who you want to get on the ball and make something happen. Um, but luckily, I don't think we're going to see either team employing a particularly low block on Saturday. No, no, it should be an open game. But bringing up Lincoln's a good way to transition to a few EFL general ones, if I can pick your brain, seeing as you do cover all, all 24 teams in the division. Now, I thought you were very fair in your 1-24 preview and your, and your segment on Sunderland, both you and Ali. The one thing that, that might have surprised some Sunderland fans and might have gone against sort of the consensus in the North East was you're both still on board with Phil Parkinson, both said that you're, you, you're fans of his. I just sort of want to throw out why you're still still Team Parky and, and, and <laughs> what you think he's done, really. I'm trying to get the, the date table up now because, you know, the, the mm. results last season after the, the initial poor period were, were really strong for, for Parkinson. Um, and I think you have to judge him. I know, you know, for the, for the starters, it wasn't great. But if you're taking, you know, if you're taking League One from January the 1st, to the end of last season. So that's kind of 14 games. So basically January the 1st till the, till the break in football, Sunderland got the most points in the league, paid 14, um, won eight, 28 points. So he's shown there that he is adept at getting a much better tune out of this group of players than Jack Ross managed. I'm not necessarily massively sold on the recruitment. Um, you know, Danny Graham feels to me like a bit of a step back into the kind of recruitment that we saw from Sunderland when things weren't going too well. You know, high costs in terms of wages, no resale value, somebody on the way down. Um, whereas, you know, you're looking at players, I know he got sent off on Saturday, players like Dobson and 09, mm. these are the kind of guys who I think are, should be what Sunderland are all about, guys who are going to, mm. who are on the way up when and if, if and when, because it's going to happen. When you guys get promoted... We're going to be ready to step up to that level as well, you know, who are on the same upward trajectory as Sunderland are in. Um, but in terms of Parkey, he has taken far, far worse squads than this one up. You mean, you look back at what he did with that Bolton side a couple of years ago. Um, you're in safe hands with him. And I, I, I was on a Portsmouth podcast before the playoff games and their relationship with Kenny Jackett is very similar. And I just think <laughs> there are these ideas that certain managers are, you know, are, are, would guarantee success. You hear Simon Grayson's name being linked to that, which Sunderland fans would scoff at. Um, but it's it's not always better. And with, with Parkey and Jackie, you've got two guys who know this league very, very well. The football might not be as electric as you want, but you'd be taking a massive risk by getting rid of them. And, you know, given the amount of support there was for Ross, when I was busy saying I just couldn't understand why, <laughs> why the you know, why the fan base was still um, on board with him. Um, I think you're going to see with this Parkinson side, 
and also to, to mention, I think you you attempted like the third or fourth most passes in the whole EFL on Saturday. So that you know the old long ball tag isn't necessarily fair this time. But I have a feeling that um, yeah, any any Sunderland fans who still aren't fans of Parky, I think that might change by the turn of the year when you're um, yeah just scoring more goals. I think that's crucial. Winning more games um, because the one nils. Yeah, just uh, under Ross, they were so sterile, so boring, mm. and I think that that won't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, here's here's hoping, and no concerns with the sort of four game blip that ultimately cost ourselves our place in the playoffs. Sort of that that one win in four, the two all with Gillingham, the the turgid nil nil with Doncaster. No, no new reason to think there. Sign of a trend. I know. I just think teams are going to have are going to have bad spells, and and it's unfortunate for you guys, and unfortunate for Parkinson that you know it came just before everything stopped. So so suddenly that run of four games without knowing it was going to be the last games you'd played for for six months. Um, you know things could turn very quickly. You've been dealt a pretty harsh fixture list to start the season. I mean, going away to Oxford, home to Peterborough, away to Charlton. I mean, you're playing against three of the top five in the in the betting mm. markets there after the, the Bristol Rovers game. And I, and I and I think the Bristol Rovers result, I mean, I know the first half performance was very poor, but in the second half, you just absolutely battered them. Um, mm. And, you know, if that game is played 10, 100,000 times, you're going to win the vast majority of it. It just didn't happen on the day. Great to see Mags, or I shouldn't call him that on a Sunderland podcast. Great to see Maguire scoring <laughs> a, a, a trademark goal. How I miss those in a yellow shirt. Mm. But, um, mm. you know, I, I just... I'll just urge caution. I mean, in Parkinson, yeah, you've got a steady, a steady Eddie, who's, who's, uh, I think, a much better fit than the uh, than the one who was in before. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, so, you obviously, for anyone who didn't know, had us fourth in your one twenty four prediction. I can't imagine anyone wouldn't have caught up on that podcast <laughs> by now. What What I'm sort of wondering is, like, I like to think of sort of the league in tiers, and last year you could say maybe Coventry separate themselves from a pack, but I kind of saw it as there were like seven teams that I would have called the quality teams in the EFL with us just sort of sneaking in at the hmm. end there. What a Sunderland a top tier team? How how many teams sort of obviously it's very early days are you expecting to be challenging for promotion, challenging for first this year? It's really easy before a season starts to separate the teams into how good you think they are. And then, and often it's completely futile hmm. because within even Tate Lincoln, mm. for example, the side who I thought I was quite positive on and we had them just outside the playoffs. And then watching the game on Saturday, I was like, you know what? Like, There's no reason why they can't be a team who you know, are punching right at the top end of the table. So the way we saw it was in Peterborough, Portsmouth, Oxford and Sunderland. You had the four teams who were the, you know, the four shortest for the bookies where mm. everything is laid out in front of you. You know, there's... There's no reason why there should be a massive drop-off from last season. The managers we know very well. The managers have kept pretty much the same squad from a, from a season last season, which had them in and around the playoffs. So I would say that those four, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying they are the top four. I'm not saying that they are the four who will end up being the top four in the league. But there's quite a clear gap in terms of, of reasons and evidence why they should be. Um, and it would take a drop-off for a reason that we can't necessarily see to see them massively fall away. Fleetwood would nearly come into that, but their issue is that they just don't really have any defenders at the moment. And as soon as they sort that out, mm. I mean, they lost two key centre-backs because of because of loan spells. Um, I guess you could argue the same with Christian Burgess at Pompey, um, who does it like he's going to be a big loss. Um, but yeah, I'd say those four 
are these so-called kind of League One big four, if you allow me to have Oxford in it. Um, but then, you know, we saw on opening day, Swindon, Charlton, Hull, Lincoln, all these sides could easily crash the party very soon. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I t- you, you're reassuring me, but I've still got still got doubts as to whether we can we can break through whether we can become one of these these top teams whether this is going to be the year maybe maybe i'm overreacting to a to a 1-1 one, one draw it's gone massively full circle from me telling all the london fans that you weren't too good <laughs> under ross and me getting absolute pelters for it so yeah mm. everything everything in foot, football's um you know cyclical and here, and here we are again just um just to sort of finish off any big picture trends that that you're expecting in league 1 this year obviously Covid kind of hangs as a dark cloud over everything, but like I think of sort of Sunderland's first season there being taken aback that the supposedly rubbish teams were nowhere near as rubbish as I thought they were gonna be, and then last year you had a lot of terrible teams, and the league was a lot more spread out. What 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 is you sort of anticipating in League One, or is that just <laughs> a big thing to um, ask? Well, no, I mean the one thing that's interesting is. That the you know the gap between League One and the Championship is massive, right? So teams who, who normally go up from League One generally struggle um, in the Championship, and teams who come down from the Championship normally, even at their worst, are, are more than competitive at League One level. You know, I, again going back to Sunderland, that first season you came down, you were you, in my opinion you, you were not a very good League One side, mm. and yet you still ended up at Wembley, one game away from going back up again. Um, so this season it's a bit different because we've got three sides coming down, one in Wigan who we can effectively at this moment draw a line through, one in Hull who were one of the worst championship teams we've ever seen for the second half of the season and have issues with their owners and their willingness to invest in the club. And then you've got Charlton who do look like they're about to be taken over but have been under an embargo for the whole summer um, and haven't been able to bring in the players they want to. So it feels to me like the top end of League One should be much easier to break into because the three sides who would normally expect to come down and challenge immediately aren't necessarily as strong as we normally see. So that's the one thing that I would maybe say. So, you know, in short, it, it looks to me like a like a good season to get promoted um, <laughs> because ne- next season, it, that probably won't be the case again. Yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. Like, God knows what's going to happen with Wigan. I still, I still fear Bowyer and Charlton a bit. Hull were terrible mm. against us in the League Cup. Terrible. Like yeah. that was, yeah. We had two disallowed goals and just, just completely dominated the game in every aspect. So that was a, that was a reassuring one for me. Less so, less so Bristol, but that was definitely one. Um, we'll move to predictions. What, what are you expect on Saturday? I think it'll be open. I mean, whenever Oxford and Sunderland play, we normally draw one all. Um, mm. I don't. I don't know if I can say that again because I think I said that this time last year. Um, but given our defensive frailties, I think you'll score. Given our attacking options and the amount of chances we normally create, I think we'll probably score. Um, so I'm going to say two-one either way. Um, and given that I'm an Oxford fan, obviously, and everybody listening will, will be predicting Sunderland win, I've got to go for for yellows. So two-one yellows. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll I'll go one-nil the other way. Um, all three games last year were so even, so even. I mean, mm. yeah, yeah, all even in really different ways as well. We had sort of the joke game in the storm that was horrible, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely awful. One of my least favourite <laughs> Sunderland wins I've ever witnessed, just out at the front getting soaked, like <laughs> miserable. The the weirdly cup game where Oxford dominated the match for 70 minutes, but yet yeah, we had two penalty shouts turned down. 
equalised and just absolutely battered you for that last 20 minutes. Really weird game. And then yeah. and then the John McLaughlin game where he dropped one in to put you 2-0 up. The referee let him off out of embarrassment and we, we nicked a 1-1 under Jack Ross. So yeah, yeah. I'm expecting more of the same. I'm expecting a weird game, a close game, but I always predict Sunderland wins when I'm doing the preview, so I'll predict <laughs> Sunderland win. Good stuff. Well, best of luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. And thanks so much for joining us. All the best. Cheers, mate. Bye. That was Jimmy Lawson there talking to George Ellick from the Not The Top 20 pod. So then, chaps, Oxford this weekend. So I'll start with you, Chris. What is your prediction for Saturday's game? I think in true Phil Parkinson style, we'll go to Oxford and we'll come away with a 1-1 draw. I don't think he's going to be any more positive than he was. I think. I think this is... Bizarrely, I think the Bristol Rovers game were, doesn't suit Phil Parkinson. And this is the type of game that suits the way Phil Parkinson plays. We'll keep it tight. We'll be we'll be boring. We'll be negative. We'll try and nick one. We'll probably nick one. Probably concede one. And we'll come away with a point and everyone will still be <laughs> everyone will still be split right down the middle. <laughs> Some people going, that's a great draw. Some people going, well, that's two points out of possible six. And we'll be, uh, yeah, we no further towards a conclusion on Parkinson. So there you go. So you're going for one all. Uh, Malk, what's your predictions for Saturday? It's a tough one. So in the game that uh, Oxford lost at the weekend, like us, they went 1-0 down in the first 10 minutes. I think it was about seven or eight minutes when they let a goal in. Uh, but unlike us, they didn't get an equaliser back. Um, and I know their opposition, Lincoln, got a second one in the second half and it was before their guy they got a, a guy sent off the same as we did so I think it's an opportunity um, they haven't settled yet clearly uh, they're, they're not quite um, fully on form they had a guy sent off in the defence so they're going to have to make a change in their centre-backs one of their young centre-backs was sent off uh, very late in the game after it was already 2-0 and done and dusted really um, I think we've got a good chance um, I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet um, but I think there's an opportunity for the lads to try and play against a bit more of an attacking side. And when you play against an attacking side, like Oxford demonstrated they were at the back end of last season, um, there are gaps behind them. And that'll that'll suit O'Brien and Grigg way better than, you know, Bristol parking the bus for however many minutes it was after they got that early penalty. So I'm going to go for a 2-1. I'm going to um, back us to, to nick a win. Could be a 1-0, but I don't think we've got a clean sheet in us yet, so I think we'll need more than one goal to win it. Uh, but yeah, 2-1, and uh, back on the glory parade with all of the people that, uh, you know, that think Parkinson is, is um, you know, sunshine shines from you nowhere. <laughs> and then, um, Gary, what's your prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I agree with a lot with what Malk said there. Um, bar the fact that, like, if you look at it, we have in my opinion, by far and away, the D2 best centre-halves in the league. By, like, I think Jordan Willis and Bailey Roy are just, they're a different level to, to League 1 defenders. I think I'm going to be very optimistic and I'm going to I'm gonna think we're keeping a clean sheet and we're going to nick one or two goals. Um, I'm going to go with, with the 1-0. Um, dream scenario would be, obviously, clean sheet with a, a Dan Neal goal, but... Uh, <laughs> Probably not going to happen, it, but yeah. He might even be on the bench. He needs to get on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, well, he needs to go on the bench for us, let alone yeah. the pitch. Will he even um, be on the bus is the question. That's yeah. a thing, isn't it? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I, I just think with Oxford, they're going to be a lot more positive than what Bristol Rovers were. 
So there is going to be the gaps. You know, where Bristol Rovers had so the two lines of four, actually a line of four and a line of five across yeah. in front of us. So it was it was a bit harder to break down, leading to them longer balls that we were all loving the, the badly placed 50, 60 yard diagonal passes. I think I think you call that a line of nine, Gary. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was what it was, man. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah it was pretty horrendous to try and break down. Like, obviously, anybody who's ever played, it, it, it's terrible. You to, know, to be it's fair, though, like, I, I, I did see a lot of it about this, about how def, like, defensive they were and they were time-wasting and we like struggled to break them down. There's a really easy way to avoid all of that and is not let yourself go 1-0 <laughs> down in the third minute. Yeah. <laughs> That's that was our problem all our season. We kept conceding early and then moaning because the other team was time wasting. They're always going to do that to us. Completely agree. But yeah, no, I definitely see um, Oxford being far more positive, which is going to lead to gaps for these passes that we're speaking and hoping that that come. Well, so that's uh, one draw and two wins then for this weekend. So let's see what happens. Now, you are probably aware of um, Frank Styles has painted murals in Sunderland of Raish Carter and Bobby Gurney. And now it's Jimmy Montgomery's turn. Um, Frank's going to be painting him on the Times Inn um, and in the process raising £4,000 for Veterans in Crisis Sunderland. So if you'd like to get involved and donate to that, and I'm, just, I'm sure you've seen those um, murals around. They are fantastic. Mm, um, and, and to be fair, it's, I don't know if it's about time we were really sort of like celebrated some of our older players as well. Um, and, you know, so Jimmy Montgomery, for everything he's done for the club and the city, it's it's not before time that he was celebrated in such a fashion. Um, but so if you'd like to donate, um, go to www.justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Stephen hyphen Lawson. Um, and when this goes out, obviously we'll, we'll put the actual link on there um, as well. So you can um, you can click on that if you want to donate um, and help the veterans in crisis in Sunderland, which is obviously a, a fantastic cause. And as I say, it's an absolutely fantastic um, thing to get Jimmy Montgomery to have actually have a, a mural up there on the uh, Times Inn. And finally... Everyone's favourite part of our um, well, obviously, it was the Exiles pod eventually, and now it's come on to the extra pod. It's um, it's playing away time. So, as always, I pick a game from around this time um, from our illustrious past, um, and basically, it's the guys' uh, turn to uh, pick the team out and see what the starting lineup was. If they get an answer wrong, they lose a point. Uh, or they lose a life. They do have two lives each. If they get a um, substitute, they do get another go. Now, this is actually um, both Gary and Malk's first times doing this. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. As it stands, we've got... Because um, I'm keeping an eye on the score this time, because last time it just it was a complete mess. So I've got Bomber and John both on two points. Chris sits on one point, so you could go to, you know, you could take the lead tonight. Um, <coughs> Paddy and Paul had zero points. They bombed out last time we played. So today's match is from the 1999-2000 season. It is um, when Peter Reid was in charge. We are wearing our Asex uh, red and white shirts. It's the ones with like the granddad sort of collar and the black cap, um, like little badges on the sleeve um, with the Reg Vardy sponsor. Uh, white shorts, black socks. That game is Derby County nil, Sunderland five. So we did all right that day. Um, Chris, as you are uh, the experienced one <laughs> in the group, I'll let you go first so we can get the ball rolling. Um, well, I think I've got to remember this game. I'm just going to go for the obvious. I'm just going to go for Kevin Phillips to start with. 
You've gone for Kevin Phillips to start, and Kevin Phillips scored a hat-trick that day. There you go. So Phillips is in. So, Gary, I'll let you go next. Um, oh, going to go with another obvious one. Um, Go with Mickey Gray. Mickey Gray is there. Malk, your first go on playing away. Yeah, um, and I'm so pleased you didn't pick the time when I was in New Zealand for six years because that would have been a right train smash, I promise you. <laughs> um, if you ever tried following a football team with a 13-hour time difference, it's quite a challenging thing. But yeah, uh, good team right about then. Uh, I think I'll go for one of the other likely strong candidates and I'll go for... Ooh, I'm changing my mind in mid-floor now. Oh, ne- never doubt yourself, Matt. That's 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 like the road to ruin. <laughs> <laughs> let's go at the bat. Let's let's go, Sorensen. Sorensen is in goal that day. Correct, Chris. Straight back to you. Gonna just go in order. Try and pick that eleven that I think I know from that season. So I'm gonna go. Chris Makin was usually right back. Chris Makin's right back. Gary. One of my one of my boys. I suppose we'll go with um go with Kevin Kilban. Kevin Kil. Ban, oh, let me double check I this. Was don't think he'd signed by this point, have he? No. If he hasn't, because he's, but he's not in the team anyway, so no, Gary, you've lost a life. I think he signed the season after. I think you might be right. Um, that puts it to uh, Malk. I think it might have been a little bit too late for one of the guys I'm thinking of. I'm going to go midfield. I'm going to go Gavin McCann. Gavin McCann was there, and Gavin McCann scored a goal. He scored the opener that day. Right, Chris, back to you. So a quick run through. We've had Sorensen, Makin, Gray, McCann, and uh, my mate Kevin Phillips up front. I'm going to abandon my idea of doing it in order because I wasn't sure on the centre-offs. So uh, I'm going to go for someone who just signed and go for Stefan Schwartz. Uh, Rolls-Royce of a midfielder. Stefan Schwartz is there. Brilliant midfielder. I think one of my favourite ever Sunderland players, Stefan Schwartz. He was absolute class, but couldn't go into space. Uh, Gary, passing it to you. I suppose I'll have to go with another compatriot, his compatriot, and we go for Quinny. He is there, and he scored. And I, I love the way that you're going down the Michael Dunn route of just naming <laughs> Irish Sunderland players. Absolutely. <laughs> Would you not be disappointed if I didn't? I was, well, honest, I, was, I was disappointed that you went for Mickey Gray first. I won't lie. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. slightly disappointed of all the Irish players, including Al Quinn. You went for Kevin Kilban first. I know, but listen, if Ireland had a team at Gary Brains and Kevin Kilbans, we would have we would have been uh, world beaters, you know. <laughs> Kevin Zidane, we used to call him, or Zinedine Kilban. He was one of those players that it was West Brom. We bought him, wasn't he? He was he was great for West Brom. Came to us was just terrible, and then went to Everton, and then did he was all right for them as well. So it's just the uh, yeah, we kind of ruined him for a couple of years. Um, Malk, your turn. Can we have a recap, please, Brett? Just to refresh my memory. In goal, you've got Thomas Sorensen. You've got Chris Makin and Mickey Gray. You've then got uh, Gavin McCann will be in the middle. You've got Niall Quinn, Phillips up front. And then you've got Stefan Schwartz as well in the centre there. I'll go for um, old Magic Johnston. Was he on the other wing? No. He would have left. He never He'd played in the Premier League for us. He left. Ah, schoolboy error. He's Ooh. gone by then. Um, what a great Catch me, lost one then. Well, that, was, that was one of the great shames for him, like leaving yeah. to go to Rangers when it was... It would have been great to see him how, how he did in the Premier League, you know, because yeah. he was quality for us. Yeah, uh, I mean, seeing him and Mickey Gray down the left in the Premier League would have been something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they, mm. Well, they say they taught the championship, so... Yeah. Um, Chris, your turn. So we're looking for some centre-backs. 
Uh, well, actually, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you do it. Actually, you're, you're, you're quite good at this. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're telling us <laughs> too much of a clue for Chris, <laughs> isn't it? Well, actually, I had, I didn't. I'm still avoiding the centre offs uh, a bit, but I'm going to go out out wide and I'm going to go for Nicky Summerwing. Yep. He was my other winger, but I've decided not to drop him in yet. But uh, yeah, good show. There, there is so when we do this game, there is like game like matches like this that you think, oh, we had such a good team, and look at us now, Gary. Thanks, thanks Brett. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I have to, I have picked like the um, the championship team before like the relegation team. So yeah, yeah, this is a good one, um, Gary. You need to get this one right, or you're out. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be close because I know he left in around this time. Um, Kevin Ball. Kevin Ball's in the centre. Good shout. Great shout. Um, Malk, you've also got uh, only got one life left. Yeah, I'm struggling a little bit here. There's one in mind, but I'm not too sure whether the timing's right. I'm a bit of an old man these days. I'll give it a go. Um, I'll try Jodie Craddock. Unfortunately, Jodie Craddock isn't there. So, Malk, you have crashed and burned. That's fair enough. It's a good go, though, for a first go, I must say. Um, Chris. Because I wasn't sure on one of the centre-offs, but I think the other one was a new sign, and, and it was, uh, I think, I'm going to go for Steve Bold. Steve Bold as well. Again, he didn't play that many games, but oh, what a difference he did make for us. Brilliant centre-off. Steve Bold is there at the back. So, Gary, you've got one player left. If you get this right, you get one point. Chris has got the two points, because he will be the last man standing. So, you've got one player left to go for. Pure point in the sky, guess, for in and around the area. But I'll go with Dickio. DG or whoever you just want to pronounce Well, it. he actually was on the bench, so you get another go. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes you, you, like, you like hate me saying that more than anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like we just want to just, just put us down or tell us we're true, you know? Um, That's worse than bombing out, isn't it? Getting yeah. us up. You've got to think of another player all of a sudden. I'm going blank. Do you want to pass it? Yeah, I was 13, 12, 13 years old, I think. Chris was a little bit of an advantage at that era, hasn't well, you, Chris? Oof. So Chris, Chris has taken it um, as the last as the last man standing. Chris, though, do you want to have a, have a little guess of who it was? Yeah, well, if it wasn't Craddock, I would go Butler. Paul Butler at the back. There we go, gentlemen. So that team there that beat Derby five nil away was um, Thomas Sorensen in goal. So then you've got Macon and Gray as full backs. You've got uh, Steve Bold and Butler centre backs. Midfield that includes Gavin McCann, uh, Nicky Summerby, Kevin Ball and Stephen Schwartz. And then the old favourites up front, Quinn and Phillips. So that is that. We are done. Thank you very much for coming on board. So Chris, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much, Brett. Uh, Gary, thank you for coming on the uh, Extras pod for the first time. Good having you. Absolutely no problem. Thanks for having me. And Malk, again, like yourself, pleasure having you on your first uh, Extras pod. No, cheers for having me, Brett. It's been an absolute pleasure, even though I bombed out big time in the quiz, but never mind. That's Better fine, luck next time. Better luck next time. So thank you very much for listening. Um, subscribe, uh, Acast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. If you enjoyed it, give us five stars and a review. If not, keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.